following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Oh, oh, oh. 
many years ago when I attended college in the Washington metro area, a Christian college, there was a total absence of the Spirit of God on campus. I remember the the deadness, the deadness in the classroom. The teachers, the professors would stand up to teach in the religion classes. They would say, let's pray. And there was just deadness. There was no moving of the Holy Spirit. I remember the despair of my heart as I studied very vital issues of theology and yet found such deadness in the student body as they studied pre-med or nursing or English, finances, or theology. There was just simply a lack of interest or passion about Jesus Christ, about the gospel of Jesus. There were two things that happened that gave me some encouragement. One, a group of men on my floor where I was a floor monitor asked me to come to their room at 10 o'clock at night to pray, and I was shocked by that. I'd never prayed with any of the people in the theology department, but here these men that I considered raw pagans who were beginning to be involved in the drug culture, were saying, Ray, come pray with us. And so I did. Then I also remember another occasion where one of the professors, I was the assistant in the department, called me into his office one day and sat weeping as he talked about the gospel. He was an old man adjunct professor, and his heart was on fire, but everybody else was dead. I recall thinking to myself, is this the normal state of religion? Is this what I'm going into? But I also had to Remember, I had been to a boarding academy in Ohio, and their religion was also dead, except in my my junior year, there was a brief outpouring of the Holy Spirit in that school, and things just became so alive and so real and so passionate and such deep conviction as, as young people stood up and began to confess their sins. But then that quickly died, and the deadness returned. I also remembered my church when I was a boy, how it never grew. We'd add a few, and we'd lose a few, and at the end of the year, we'd still be about 100 people, mainly elderly people. 
and I was determined there had to be a way to change that. And so off I went to high school and then on to college. And then I went to seminary. It was a cemetery. Never once in the in the years I spent in graduate study was there ever any encouragement to read the scriptures. It was dead. It was dry, archaeology, theology, homiletics, New Testament, Old Testament, Hebrew, Greek. But it was dead. There was no life there. I since just a few years ago visited that seminary again and and walked around and talked with students and listened. And you know what? It's as dead today as it was then, if not more dead. Now, please, I'm, I'm trying to get to a point. The Jesus movement came then. And I returned to my college campus, this time as a pastor, And the Jesus movement was in full sway. And some of the young people saw me and said, Are you a pastor? Yes. Well, come pray with us. What? Come pray with us. And some who recognized me urged me to come and pray with them. And I went up to the prayer room euphemistically called that when I was there because there was no prayer. And the room was packed. And more and more young people came in, college kids came in, and they sat down. And they began to pray. No preaching, no talking, just praying. Passionate prayers, crying out for God to come and do something on their campus. And God was doing something. He met them. The power of the Spirit of God came. There was much weeping. There was confession of sin. There was reform in their lives. They were changed. Those past experiences give me hope. Because you see now, I have never in my life seen the church in America as dead as it is now. Dead, dead, dead. Throw a shovel of dirt on it and bury it. I think that's why God vomited the church out of its buildings. And there was no pushback. There was no standing up to the government authorities and saying, no, you're opening Walmart You're opening this store. Costco's open. The bars are open. We're not going to obey you. We're going to worship. But there was none of that. No, everybody was very pleasant and kind and closed their churches like good good little boys and girls. I think God was in that. I think God was sick and tired of dead worship, dead music, Worldly music, worldly entertainment. I think God was sick and tired of the pretense of our hearts and our lives. You know, my heart is so 
broken today. I'm, I've been praying all morning. And last night, there is a need for, no, let me put it differently. There is a desperate need for deep conviction of heart in the church today. A standing up and saying, we must have the Holy Spirit You know, almost to everyone that I speak, I talk about the Holy Spirit and how I'm crying out for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I meet with such resistance, even from those I consider godly. They're living righteous lives, but they, bottom line, have no interest in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, instead they say, well, we already have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, if they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where is the fire? Where is the wind? Where is the conviction? Where is the heart to cry for the lost? There's no passion. It's dead, 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 dead. Throw dirt on it. It's it's religion. Oh, now there's personal piety among some. Not many, but there is personal piety. And I rejoice that there is personal piety. But there is an absence of deep conviction. And this has to change. You know, people are very interested and they come rushing to this broadcast when I'm talking about end times. People rush to this broadcast when I play a coverstone dream about the coming events of history. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not ready for the coming events of history. You're powerless. You have a form of godliness with no power. Now, I want to read for you something out of the book of Ephesians. I want to read this for you. I want to read this for you because I don't know how to get at this issue any other way. Now, I'm going to read you the whole piece, 14 verses. Please hang with me. Don't disappear. You need to hear this. The first chapter of the book of Ephesians is probably one of the most difficult to understand and one of the most power-packed with every word having very significant meaning. I remember years ago reading and rereading, reading and rereading and crying out to God and saying, God, I don't understand what it's saying. Please help me. So I'm going to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I'm going to read this 14-verse passage to my brothers and sisters. I ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand your word and let the impact of it settle deep into our soul. Lord, we're so dead. We're useless. But Lord, I know you love us. 
So I'm asking, would you give us understanding of this passage? In the name of Jesus, amen. And please uh, go on the, if you're listening live on the YouTube, go on the live chat and let me know you're here. Just give me your name and where you're listening from. Uh, respond to somebody else who's talking. I know uh, Kaylin, Jose, Gino, Bertha, they'd love to hear from you. So please uh, jump on the live chat if you're on the internet and let us know that you're there. Okay, Ephesians, the first chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, every blessing of heaven has been poured out for us. He has not withheld anything from us. So our deadness is a result of our own decision-making. God has not put a spirit of slumber upon the church. He has not put a spirit of dumbness or muteness upon the church. We are mute and dumb because we have chosen to be mute and dumb. And when we call for prayer, some of you have a hand over your mouth and you can't even pray. And so when we call on Friday for people to pray, many who listen will never call in and pray because the devil's hand is over their mouth. It's not God's. It's the devil's hand. Verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. In other words, you have been a You have been predestined. All of the human race was predestined. God decided he would offer this gift of Calvary to the whole world, to all peoples, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely gave us and the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness here is aphemy, the removal of sin. Not just forgiveness, not just a legal decision, but an actual removal of all sins from our lives. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In other words, God knew exactly what he was doing. He was pouring out his heart for us. He was passionate about us. He made us to know the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under the one head, even Christ. Now catch the impact of that. Everything in this world is designed, is destined to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right now, we don't see governments under the lordship of Jesus. We see just the opposite. They're under the lordship of the devil. We don't see a Congress. 
or a senate under the headship of Jesus. They are under the headship of the demonic one. We don't see corporations, Facebook, Twitter. We don't see them under the headship of Jesus. The day is coming when every business, every government, will be under the headship of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you've heard the gospel. I've preached it to you. You know that Jesus died for you. You have the word of truth. You've been included. You've not been excluded. You've been included. Satan wants to tell you that you're excluded, that you're under God's judgment, that you're under condemnation. Wrong. You're not. Your sins have been wiped away. You've been forgiven. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. Now, I'm going to stop there. I want you to get this. Every person who has come confessing their sins repenting of their sins, being touched by the power of God and being born from above. You have been sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. Now there are those who say today that that's all you get. You're sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit. I know I am sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in me. I know that. I have ample evidence to believe that. The way my life has been transformed into his likeness, the way he has removed anger and lust and bitterness from my heart, the spirit of love and forgiveness that he's placed in me toward those who would harm me, and have harmed me. Those things only come about by the power of the Spirit of God. But I want to tell you, there's another passage of Scripture in John 15, Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I have not borne much fruit, showing myself to be a disciple. Yes, I've borne some fruit. Some of you are a result. Some of you are the fruit of this broadcast, as I have come and spoken with such searing honesty with you about your soul and about leaving all sin. And some of you have left all sin and you're washed and you're clean and you rejoice in Jesus. But are you bearing much fruit? 
I'm not. And I'm very troubled by that. There is a there is a lack of fruit being born. Now, I'm not talking about bad fruit. I'm not talking about quick, easy believism where a person makes a decision to follow Christ and then they follow the devil. We have many like that. Who, when they finally begin to understand the depth of what it means to follow Jesus, continue to say they're Christians, but they go and pursue their own interests. They go and pursue their own desires. And they say, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm on my way to heaven. And frankly, they have a certain level of piety. But they're not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Why not? What's the issue here? Well, the answer is found right here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. And then up in verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So there is evidently a separation that yet exists between Jesus and me, between Jesus and you. And that is precisely the issue because there is a lack of conviction regarding the shallowness of our walk with Jesus. And we get all caught up in all kinds of things and and attitudes and struggles. But we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but wait a minute, Pastor. I thought you just read the passage that said, We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. Yes? The seal of the Holy Spirit is not the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know many will disagree with me about that. But you know what? I don't go by what people tell me. I only go by what the scriptures say. And I very specifically listen to what Jesus himself said. And when Jesus tells me something that differs from what a brother or sister tells me, who am I going to believe? Even if it means I'm convicted. How are we going to deal with the deadness in the body of Christ in America. I think the answer to that must be we've got to go and look in the scriptures and find the answers and begin to live in those answers, not in the teaching of men. Now, I have to tell you, in all frankness, the deadness I experienced in the church when I was a boy 
is now even greater deadness. The deadness I experienced in high school and in college and in seminary has grown exponentially. I remember when I was in seminary, the church growth movement got its start. Peter Wagner and many others were involved in the church growth movement. Robert Schuller. I went to two of his workshops. I listened. I tried to put it into practice. But it was dead. There was no life in it. Oh, there was success. You could build a church almost overnight following their principles. But their principles denied the power of the cross of Jesus. They were seeker-sensitive. They were, they were there to meet the felt needs of the people, not the spiritual needs of the people. So take the cross out of the church. Bring music into the church that is satisfying to the pagan and just put Christian words with it. Survey the, the people and find out what they want. Oh, they want short services. They want a 15-minute sermon. They want to be in and out. They want to have coffee in the sanctuary. They want their donuts. Okay, d- good. Let's do all of that. As the one pastor of a very popular church in the Woodbridge area, as I spoke with him, I said to him, is your church a worldly church? Without a hesitation, he said, yes, of course it is. I said, why? He said, because we have to bring the world in so we can then talk to them about Jesus. I said, how's it working out for you? He said, it's not working out at all, but we have to keep trying to do something. We've got to reach people. Now, I admire his heart. He wanted to reach people for the gospel. But the way he was going about it was utterly destructive to the word of truth. It was just church entertainment. So we come to the deadness of our day. And some of you are going to argue with me and say, no, no, pastor, our church is alive. Is it really? And have you been able to convert the people of your community? Have, you, have they found Christ? Have you transformed your county so that the police are saying, wow, we don't have anything to do. There are no criminals here anymore. They're all, they're all committed Christians. Is that what's happened in your community? Or do you baptize your children and do a little friendship evangelism and call that meeting the needs of the people? No, we're dead. The American church is dead, dead, dead. And now what are we going to do about that? How do we deal with that? I only know one way. Number one, go back and look honestly at the Scripture and ask, is this a description of what's actually happening in my life and in my church? And number two, deep repentance 
and sorrow that we've not been able to meet the cry of Scripture. How are we going to deal with this deadness? It's overwhelming us. The church is being utterly compromised with the world and the entertainment and the foolishness and the the pastors now become a high-paid project manager. I mean, I just read a news report about a very popular author and pastor who was invited to speak at a very prestigious location in the Episcopal Church. And people objected because he had preached a sermon against homosexuality. So he promptly apologized. And framed it in the in the words of, we have to be loving and we have to be kind and we don't want to offend. And, and if the truth offends, then we have to, we have to find a way to speak it in an inclusive way. No, that's why we're dead. There's no salt. There's no bite. There's no differentiation between the church and the world. They love us. And when any pastor begins to step out of line, he gets slapped down by the community and humbly bows his head and says, oh, yes, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Look, if you don't recognize the deadness of the church, if you don't recognize the deadness of your own soul, if you don't recognize your inability to win the lost for Jesus and you blame the lost for not being interested, I have to tell you in all honesty, the lost are not interested because they don't see a fire burning. They don't see the miraculous power of God moving in your life. So that leaves us dead, ready to be buried. Well, I'm not going to go to the grave quietly. I'm going to fight. And I'm going to pray. And I'm repenting. Not for offending the world, for offending Jesus Christ and not doing what he's called me to do, which is to walk in the power of his blood for the salvation of the lost and the dying. I know many Christians who have not won one person to Jesus in the last years, five, ten years. Not one person have they won. Why? Because there's no power. There's no conviction. Pious, but dead. Pious, but dead. And and I'm going to be frank with you. Large and small churches alike are dead. We can't point our finger at the mega churches and say, we're alive and you're dead. Well, show me your life. Show me the lives that are being transformed and changed and the whole community being 
influenced by the salt of your powerful ministry. No, we just plod along, plod along. No change. A church, 100 members, 10 years from now, 100 members. People die, people go, people come. Unless the church dies, and many churches in America are dying, and they're closing their building, as they did in England. Many of those buildings were taken over as mosques. Many of them were turned into apartment houses, a place to stage shows, beer parlors, restaurants, dead. I want to read something for you. It's in the Acts of the Apostles. I'm going to begin reading with verse 4. And while being assembled together, he commanded them, that is, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from these. Now the one having met together were questioning him, saying, Lord, tell us if at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father put in his own authority. Could I say something, please, that may offend some of you? Since I've already done that today. Don't focus your attention on end-time prophecies. Don't go to the Internet and search out the latest prophecies by your favorite so-called prophet. Don't be caught up in this. It's deadness. It's not life. Jesus said, Look, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father put in his own authority, but you will receive power. The Greek word dunamis, meaning dynamite, explosive power. After the Holy Spirit having come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the very ends of the earth. Please hear me. This is not the anointing or the sealing of the Holy Spirit when you come to him in conversion. This is a post-giving, a, a giving at a later date. As the disciples and the 120 gathered in that upper room, they were all committed Christians. They were sold out for Jesus. They were walking clean before him but they did not have the power for witness. And Jesus knew that. And he's saying, look, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you in power. Again, let me read it for you. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse, uh, this is Galatians, the first chapter, verse 8. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit having come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This power is not to live a godly life. That power was given to you by the Holy Spirit when he sealed you in himself in Jesus Christ by his blood. You were then given the power to no longer walk in sin or rebellion against God. You were made into a new creature in Christ. This coming of the power of the Holy Spirit is not that same coming. This is a coming for witness, power for witness, that when you speak, hearts will be opened, convicted, and turned toward the Lord with great sorrow and conviction. We lack conviction in the body of Christ today. We're dead. And we will continue to be dead, even though there are a few who have great piety. And I love you because of your obedience to Jesus and your love for Jesus. And some of you have paid a heavy price to love Jesus. You've been scorned by family. You've been pushed away by friends. You've paid a price to follow Jesus. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost everything for the sake of Christ. But that is not the power of witness. That's under the first coming of the Holy Spirit in your life to seal you for the coming day of salvation when Jesus returns. But my brother, my sister, we can't be content with that. There is more for us. Look, if I can't live a passionate life, I don't want to live. I'm not willing to live in deadness. I'm not willing to live with a hand over my mouth. I'm not willing to live without the ability in the power of the Spirit to speak the word of God in such a way that men and women are convicted of their sins and repent and turn to righteousness. Now, I can blame the sinner. I can say, look at these ugly sinners. They're not interested in the gospel as I preach it. And frankly, most are not. As evidenced by the very few people who will watch this video, there is a deadness in the in the community at large, there's a deadness in the church. So why would they want to listen? But please, I can't live in that deadness and keep my mouth shut one more day. I refuse. I am going to cry aloud, and I'm going to spare not. My heart is so troubled by this deadness because I have in my past, in high school and in the Jesus movement, seen what the power of God can do when it just barely comes and touches. I've seen the strongest men 
young men fall on their faces and repent for all manner of wickedness. I've seen lives totally reformed, totally changed, leaving the way of darkness, leaving the way of utter wickedness. I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read another passage of Scripture for you. This is found in Acts. Acts, the second chapter. And while the day of Pentecost is being fulfilled, they were all with one accord at the same place. What do you mean they were one accord? They all wanted the power and gifting of the Holy Spirit because their hearts were on fire for Jesus but they had no power for witness. They were still tucked away in the upper room. They were still afraid. Suddenly there came out from heaven a noise as the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues parting off as fire and sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues of a different kind as the Spirit was giving to them to speak out. These were literal languages that in a short time would be used as testimony for all of the various peoples that were gathered for Passover in the city of Jerusalem. This coming of the Holy Spirit was not the seal of the Holy Spirit. They had all been sealed already in the Holy Spirit. This coming was something different, and it broke their fear. It transformed them into fierce warriors of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this small band of 120 in their lifetime proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ literally in the whole world. Not to every creature, but across the whole world. The book of Acts should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's literally what it is the Holy Spirit would take a man from one location and transport him to another location to to be a bold proclaimer of the gospel. Men died. James was executed. Stephen was stoned. This was a very real battle with very real powers. Peter was slapped in prison and threatened with beheading. And an angel of God came and woke him up and said, come on, let's go. 
and the gates opened. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying today. We were not called to a spirit of slumber. We were not called to a spirit of deadness. Until you are willing to recognize your deadness and not blame yourself, but cry out to God for a change, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are going to continue being dead, 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 dead. Jesus' will is not that we be dead. His will is that we come alive. His charge is that we be filled with his mighty Holy Spirit. So what is the level of conviction in your heart? Are you dead? Be honest. Now, you may be pious, By that I mean an earnest lover of Jesus. You may be pious in the exercise of your faith in Jesus Christ. You have a very personal commitment to him as the person of Jesus. Or you may be just an institutional Christian and not really converted. Whatever you are, what's your level of conviction Are you dead? Have you eaten of the fruit of Americanism? Have you eaten the fruit of the Laodicea church? Are you infected with the disease of deadness? It's interesting to me that the church at Ephesus, remember I read that passage about Ephesus at the beginning. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardship for my name. You've not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you fall and repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaeans or the easy believers and the once saved, always saved, which I also hate. Are you alive or are you dead today? I hate the deadness. I hate the deadness of my own soul, the deadness of the church, and I'm crying out to God. I am weeping before the Lord. I am asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit as spoken of in Luke, the 11th chapter. We don't have time to go there today. I want you to be honest and examine your heart. Are you dead? Or are you producing for Jesus what he's called you to produce? 
Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We're really falling behind financially. Some of you have not been able to give as you have in the past. If this broadcast is going to stay on the air, you're going to have to obey the Holy Spirit and give as he directs you. He's the one who sponsors this broadcast. This is not listener-supported radio. This is Jesus-supported radio as he moves in your hearts. That's why I don't sell anything. I just call on you to obey the word of Jesus as it comes to you to give. You can go to the upper right-hand corner of our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online, or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother, my sister, with life, with conviction, with power in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I love you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'll talk to you soon. Great.